0: Such a joy to be with you tonight, uh, to partake in the Lord's Supper together, uh, to enjoy this feast. And so I pray that we would be encouraged tonight, uh, especially as we are concluding our series on the Trinity. Um, if you have your Bible, we're going to be kind of all around tonight, but primarily we're going to be in John for the first part, and then in Romans in the second part. So we'll be in John and Romans primarily. So. We're going to start in John 14. So while you're turning there, I just wanted to say that in 1989, so before many of you were born, in 1989, the US Navy discovered a mysterious sound that was emitting off the coast of California. And at first they thought, well, maybe it might be an enemy submarine or something. But after they looked into it, they realized that it wasn't a ship or submarine. In fact, it was biological, it was an organic sound, and they realized that the sound was coming from a whale, of all things. And while most whales would emit a sound between 10 to 40 hertz, this whale was different in that it was emitting a sound at 52 hertz, far beyond what any other whale would understand. And it was the only whale out there that was transmitting at this sound frequency. And after following it for years, they realized that there was only one of its kind. There was only one whale that was transmitting at this sound. So they labeled it the 52 hertz whale. And then it later on got the title of the world's loneliest whale. Because it was the only whale out there. And it was transmitting at a frequency that... As if to hear a response back, but no one, nothing was responding. Now as we conclude this series on the Trinity, on knowing and delighting in God, we've spent the last two uh, sermons on looking at the roles within the Trinity. We heard from Jeremy who looked at worshipping the supreme and glorious Father. How God the Father is the eternal sovereign Father. He is the architect, the initiator of creation and salvation. And then Mike, he talked on the Son, on learning life from the Son, how the Son delights in and loves the Father, and he was sent on mission to glorify the Father. And in other words, you too are sent on mission to glorify God, even if it means suffering. Now, I say all that because oftentimes what happens for the believer is we hear the truth, we hear biblical truths, we know biblical truths, yet living it out is entirely a different story. A Christian can know that God is Father, He is the sovereign Father over all things, that Christ is the Son, that He came and died on the cross, and that they are to live a life that glorifies God, yet oftentimes believers we fall into this mindset of what do I need to do to be a good Christian? Or in other words, what do I need to do? do I, I, need to, I guess I need to make sure that I'm reading my Bible every day, I'm praying every day, I go to church on Sunday, I serve in ministry throughout the week, and I'm doing all these things, and therefore that means I'm a good Christian. In other words, very similar to the 52 Hertz whale, Many Christians try to live their life on their own strength, on their own exertion, and they become like this kind of lone whale Christian as a result. Or on the other hand, you have the Christians who are going through life, going through suffering, going through trial after trial, struggle after struggle, and they are weighed down so heavily that they do feel like the world's loneliest whale. That God is so far away and that no one is hearing their cry. Tonight we get to look at the third person of the Trinity. We get to look at the Holy Spirit, and I've titled this to be empowered to live by the Holy Spirit. My prayer tonight is that you would, as we look into the role of the Holy Spirit among the Godhead, that you would be encouraged to know that the Holy Spirit is the helper who is God in you he is god in you and so in looking at various passages you would have an understanding of the role of the holy spirit among the godhead and as a result then you would grow in your faith in your assurance in god, of god in your strength to and resolve to fight sin and t- temptation and that you would be encouraged to keep pressing on in your christian walk and so that is my prayer, my hope for you, and my question that I wish for you to consider as we look into this, as we conclude our series is simply this. Do you know God? Do you know God? And so there is notes out there. If you haven't gotten your notes, I believe the ushers might have extra. But first point on your notes that you would see the role of the Holy Spirit among the Godhead, the role of the Holy Spirit among the Godhead. As mentioned earlier, we've looked at the Father and the Son. We've looked at the Father. He is the architect. He is the initiator of all things, creation, salvation, all of that. We looked at the Son. The Son is the accomplisher of the will of the Father. He is the one that executes the Father's will, whether it be in creation or salvation. And tonight, we're looking at the Holy Spirit we heard this a couple weeks ago, but Holy Spirit, He is the applier. He applies, He perfects all that the Father and Son does. And we've also looked at the fact that just as the Son is equal to God the Father, so too, the Holy Spirit, He also is eternally equal with God the Father and the Son. The difference between them lies in their role, lies in their role. And this is what we're going to see in John 14, in chapters 14 to 16. Christ himself goes into detail about the Spirit's role. And he starts off in verse 16 of chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Here there's so much truths that we can can grasp from just this passage alone. But I believe that, as was mentioned uh, in a couple of weeks ago, the Nicene Creed helps with this. Nicene Creed says Uh, It was their writing against the heretical teachings that came up during that time, and they wrote this. They said, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Now this creed, the Nicene Creed, though it was written by ordinary men, it was just written by everyday men, what we see here is that they take the truths what's here in John and, they, and we see three truths come out from that. Three truths. The first truth is that you would understand the eternal procession of the Holy Spirit. Understand the eternal procession of the Holy Spirit. Now when we look at the Holy Spirit and his role among the Father and the Son, what scripture makes very clear throughout John 14 to 16 is that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. Again, here in John 14, look at what Christ said. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he will be with you forever. In fact, later on in chapter 14 in verse 26, it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so, in just those two verses alone, what do we see? We see that the Father sends the Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from the Father. Yet, here, then in chapter 15, Christ changes it here. Christ says in, in verse 26 of 15, he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. In fact, he says that again in chapter 16, in verse 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to, to you. And so while we see that the Father sends the Spirit, so too do we see that Christ, the Son, He also sends the Spirit. And so here in, this, in just these chapters, what do we see? We see that the Holy Spirit, He is the, uh, the other helper. As Christ says, He is another helper. He is the power clay toss. He is the one that's going to be with you forever. And he is going to be the one that bears witness of the Son. He's going to testify of the Son. What this shows about the role of the Holy Spirit is that the role of the Spirit is that he forever is sent to testify of the Son. He is forever sent to point to Christ. In fact, you think about this. The Father says this of the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father glorifies the Son. So does the Spirit. The Spirit, it says that He will glorify me, for He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. In other words, the Father and the Son, or the Father and the Spirit, are all about making much of the Son. They're all about Christ. They're all about His glory, making Him known. And and just as a side note for that, just as the Father And the Spirit are all about making much of the Son, about testifying and and showing the Son and glorifying the Son. So you too are also to make much of the Son. You are called to testify to bear witness of Christ, locally and globally. If both think about it, if both the Father and and the Holy Spirit are all about the Son. Shouldn't that be your goal as well? Shouldn't that be your purpose, your desire to make much of Christ in this world? In a world that's so darkened by sin, shouldn't, they, shouldn't the desire be that they would know Christ? That they would know him, know of salvation? And again, there is no greater joy than this. No greater joy and purpose for the believer than to be about your mission. Your mission to glorify Christ locally and globally. And so, first, understand that the Spirit, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Second, though, know God by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Know God by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that we see about the Spirit throughout chapters 14 to 16 is that Christ continues to refer to the Spirit with one title almost regularly, on one end, he always calls him the helper. But he also says that he is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. He is the one who in chapter 16, verse 13, it says that he will guide you into all truth. He does this as, as when we read the Nicene Creed as through the one who spoke by the prophets, which is where they got it from 2 Peter one twenty one, which is where they... Peter says that for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but men moved by the holy spirit spoke from god. And so the second role of the holy spirit is that he is revealing god. He reveals god through his word. Through the word, that's how you can know god, how you can see and know him. In fact, we've been throughout the series we've been saying This passage, this verse in chapter 17 of John, verse 3, where it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How can you know the Father? How can you know the Son? How can you know anything about God except through the Word? Through the the Holy Spirit, we have God's Word. How can you know about salvation? How can you know how you can be seen as righteous before the Father? How can you know that you are dead in your sins and trespasses and that the only way that you can be made alive is through Christ? How can you know that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son? How can you know these things except by the Word, through the Word, through what the Holy Spirit has given to us, who guides into all truth. You can only know salvation, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. The only way you can know that is through the role of the Holy Spirit and what he does in illuminating God's word to you. And that's why we we see where it says that all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired by God, and it can be translated as God-breathed. It is the theonoustos. It is as if the Spirit himself is breathing, God himself is breathing out the word. And so the way you can know salvation and all about God is through his word. Now, the third point, and that if, secondly, you can know God by the illuminating work of the Spirit Third, though, is that you would worship God by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Worship God by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Another part of the role, which was I, I spoke about a little bit earlier, is found in John 16, 14. It says, he will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. I mentioned it earlier, the Spirit is all about glorifying the Son, He's all about making much of Christ. The Father glorifies the Son. The Father looks at the Son and says, I'm well pleased in my Son. The Spirit says, look at the Son. Glorify and worship the Son. From conversion to glorification, in other words, the Spirit is all about pointing your eyes to Christ. I mean, think about it for a moment. You are born again by the Holy Spirit, John 3. You are taught to know Christ by the Spirit in John 16. You are filled to worship God through the Spirit in Ephesians 5. The Holy Spirit, in other words, he's the one that's working quietly in the background. He's quietly working in the background, but all he does is basically pointing a light To Christ. He wants you to look at the Son. Know the Son. To worship the Son. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, look at Christ. Look at the one who so loved you that he would die on the cross for you. Know Christ. Know the one who gives rest for your soul. And worship Christ. The one who alone is worthy of all worship and glory and honor. He is the one that's only the one that needs to be worshipped, who deserves all worship for all eternity. In fact, the Spirit is able to transform even the deadest of sinners, the most hardest of hearts. He can breathe life into them, and so that they can then worship and know God. On your notes. To quote R.C. Sproul, he says, He is intangible and invisible, but his work is more powerful than the most ferocious wind. The Spirit brings order out of chaos and beauty out of ugliness. He can transform a sin-blistered man into a paragon of virtue. The Spirit changes people. The author of life is also the transformer of life. Beloved, this is what it means to understand and know who the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit proceeds from the Father, proceeds from the Son. He proceeds to make much and to glorify the Son. He does that through revealing Scripture, revealing God's Word to you so that you then can glorify and exalt the Son. And and just in practical application, just something to think about, as I mentioned earlier, notice how The Spirit does all this. You think about the Trinity. The Father glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son. You never see where it says, glorify the Spirit. The Spirit's always in the background, quietly working. And yet, He joyfully does His role in the background. And so practically... If I can just encourage you, brothers and sisters, just as the Spirit works quietly in the background, so you too can work and serve God quietly in the background. Don't think that you need to make a name for yourself in order to mean much to God. You can set up chairs to the glory of God You can do much for God, glorify God, in just working and serving Him quietly in the background, just as the Spirit is a model of that, of what humble service for Christ's glory looks like. Now, if if I were to end here, it would have been enough to know about the role of the Holy Spirit, how His role is seen through the Godhead, how he interacts with the Father and with the Son. It would be enough to just know these things. And yet, as I mentioned at the beginning, as believers, we oftentimes forget, as we try to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, we oftentimes live it on our own strength, on our own exertion. And so while we looked at the role of the Holy Spirit among the Godhead, secondly, that we would look at the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer, the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And this is where we want to be in, in Romans eight. In looking at the role, we're going to be in Romans eight for majority of this. and I think Paul captures that beautifully in that chapter. And, I, and in Romans eight, I believe that there are three simple applications that, that we can see of how the Holy Spirit works in the believer. The first one in Romans 8 is that you would find assurance of your salvation in the Holy Spirit's testimony. Find assurance of your salvation of the Holy Spirit's testimony. Understanding the role of the Spirit. He is the helper that is sent by the Father and Son to be in the believer. It should solidify your assurance. Your assurance that you truly belong to God. In fact, look at Romans 8, verse 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The root word that's used here is the word testifies. Testify is the same word that John used. In John 15, where he said that the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. And so, let that just sink in for a moment. The same Holy Spirit, who is all about testifying and glorifying Christ, it says that he also testifies that you are indeed a child of God if you've put your faith in Christ. And and if I may speak briefly, uh, specifically, I actually want to address the youth and the young adults here. Because if there's one thing I've noticed throughout the years is that if there's one, one thing that oftentimes youth and the young adults struggle with, it's in regards to their assurance of salvation. In fact, many grow up in church, they hear the gospel week after week. They, they might even think and, and say that they are saved. And yet, if you were to ask, ask them, well, if you were to die right now, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? How sure of you are you that, that you would have eternal life? Oftentimes, the answer is, well, I'm about 70% sure, 80%, or even a, I'm 99.9% sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven. And when you ask them, well, why is it not 100? Why not? Oftentimes the answer is, well, I I want to be sure, but I'm I'm just not consistent with my quiet time, and I keep struggling with sin and all these things, and and every time I just, I don't feel like I'm a Christian. I don't feel like i'm saved or i hear testimony after testimony of people who've been radically transformed and i look at myself and i and i don't have that testimony and so to the youth and to the young adults here and if that is you tonight then i, I would like to encourage you first and foremost to stop looking inwardly at yourself Stop looking at your performance, at your feelings, to know this. Instead, what should you do? You should do what the Holy Spirit does. He points you to the cross. He points you and says, look at Christ. What should you do? You should look at the one who did everything that you could never do. Is that not what the Spirit does? The Spirit's all about glorifying and testifying of Christ to make much of Him, that you would behold the Son. Faith is not about what you feel or what you do. It's about what's been done for you. It's about who did it for you. Therefore, if, if you are here and you, you say, I, I do believe in Christ. I do believe that he died on the cross for my sins. And, and I, I want to say, I believe in this. Then, then let this one truth grip you. The Holy Spirit testifies. If you've truly believed in Christ and you've truly repented of your sin, turned to Christ and you, want, and you believe in him for your salvation... The Spirit says, it says that the Spirit testifies that you are a child of God. You are a child. You are adopted into God's family. That's where your assurance lies. It's not in you, it's in what Christ has done, it's in the certainty of what God's Word says, and that you cling to what is true on what the Holy Spirit does. In Christ, who is the good shepherd, who lays on his life for the sheep, the one who firmly holds you in his hand, and, and trusting in the Father, the one who is greater than all things, and who holds you in his hand, that's where your assurance is. That's where your faith is. To quote Ryle, J.C. Ryle said, assurance after all is no more than full-grown faith, a masculine faith that grasps Christ's promise with both hands, a faith that argues like the good centurion. If the Lord speak the word only, I am healed. Wherefore then should I doubt? Again, your assurance is not in yourself, in your performance. And so to the young believers here, to the youth and to the young adults, that is, I want to encourage you to understand how the Holy Spirit, He Himself testifies, if you've put your faith in Christ, that you are indeed a child of God. Second, though, that you would find strength to walk in the Holy Spirit's power. Second, find strength to walk in the Holy Spirit's power. Back in Romans 8, Paul addresses this in verses 12 to 13. He says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, To live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul is making one point very clear here. The only way that you can put to death sin and the deeds of the flesh is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the power of the Spirit. Now, if I can share a little story here growing up, I didn't grow up in uh, here at CBC. So growing up, I was actually not what you would call a good kid. I was actually the opposite and probably would not have been friends with any of you. If I'm being honest. I was in fact, a troublemaker. I was the one that would, if you were walking in the cafeteria during lunch, you would see me on the detention table at least once a month. Uh, I was the one that was picking fights all the time. You know, I just, I had a big mouth and small guy. I remember as a second grade, I was in second grade, and I, for some odd reason, I decided to pick a fight with another second and third grader. So me, thinking that I'm all that and a bag of chips, I, I pick a fight with a second grader and a third grader, and I thought that, oh, I got this. Yet I was shown otherwise. And as I'm on the ground getting beaten up by these two and and rethinking my life decisions and choices as a little seven-year-old, I'm thinking, well, this is it. I'm going to be all beaten up. But next thing I know, out of nowhere, the third grader disappears. What I find out later is that my brother, my older brother, who was a third grader, he just so happened to come outside. And upon seeing me getting beaten up, he immediately runs over, grabs the third grader, throws him off of me. And well, the the rest is history. All this to say, uh, brothers and sisters, is that you're not alone in the fight. Did you see what, what was said here? You are to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that helper that one who is with you. So often we get into this mindset of, I need to put to death my sin. I need to do this work of, of sanctification and, and be holy. I need to, to muster up my own strength and exertion to do this. And Yet God's word makes it clear. You don't need to do that on your own. What makes you think you should be doing it on your own, in fact? God's word says that the Holy Spirit is there to give you strength. And and just think about that. We talk about creation. The Father creates all things through the Son by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. So all of creation has been created through the power of the Spirit. And that power is readily available for you to put to death sin. That's what's available. That's what's in you. You have the Holy Spirit. So what makes you think that you should be doing this alone? That you have to be seen as holy on your own strength. And and just to be a little more practical here, not only are you not alone because the Spirit's with you, but... Look around you. Are we not the family of God? The church of God? Just as I was unable to to win that fight on my own as a little second grader, so too know that you have brothers and sisters here who can help you. Who are there? In fact, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says that two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. And so, brothers and sisters, if I can encourage you, if you are here tonight and you are, you find yourself struggling with sin, struggling with temptation, struggling in the fight against, to be holy, then I want to encourage you to look into having accountability. We are a church family. And we are here for one another, to serve one another, to love one another. And so look to the means that God has given you so that you can, can stand up and stand back up and fight. Now, these truths, these are glorious truths, and, and, and it should encourage you how the Holy Spirit testifies for you And and gives you that assurance of your salvation. And that he is there to help you put to death sin. Those are all good truths. But yet, at the same time though, you might be here. You might know these things. But you are on a different area of life right now. Perhaps you're here and you have a heavy heart. Maybe you're here and you've been dealing with physical pain and disease. And and maybe that causes you to, to be homebound even. So much so that you're depressed and you're silently suffering on your own. Or perhaps you're you're here and you're single. You've been single for so long and you're watching those around you getting married one by one. And in your discouragement and in your loneliness you're wondering, when will it be your turn? Perhaps you're here. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe the pain and absence of their presence has caused so much grief and despair. And so in the midst of all your suffering, you're trying to cling to Scripture. And yet God feels so distant. In fact, you might say, I feel exactly like that 52 hertz whale. I'm feeling alone that no one's hearing my cry. God feels so far off. And brothers and sisters, if that is you, beloved, I'd actually like to encourage you. And I'd actually like to encourage you by finishing the story in 2015, a group of oceanographers decided to try to look for the 52 Hertz whale. In fact, they haven't been able to find the whale in many years, and they thought that the whale had died. So they, they searched for the whale, thinking that, that they, maybe they'll find it. And after months of searching with nothing showing up, they had all but given up hope on that. And yet, off the coast of L.A., of Los Angeles, they heard the cry, finally, of the elusive whale. What was so shocking though to them was that within minutes they heard a second cry 90 miles away in San Diego at the same frequency. What they realized was that the world's loneliest whale was actually not alone. There was at least a second one there. And so brothers and sisters, my third point for you is that you would find comfort amidst suffering in the Holy Spirit's presence. There is one biblical truth that I, I, I pray you would cling to and hold on to in the midst of your greatest suffering. It is this, that you are never truly alone in your suffering. In fact, read all of Romans 8 and what you'll see, Paul uh, Paul makes this clear. Romans 8 verse 9, he says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells in you. No matter how great the despair, how great that suffering, how deep that hole of despair and and loneliness might feel, you can take comfort in knowing that you are not alone. God himself is not far from you. In fact, he's closer to you than anything else. He is God who dwells in you. And that's why Paul can say in verse 26 and 27, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, you can know that you are not alone alone that your prayers are not too quiet, too distraught for the Holy Spirit to help, for the Holy Spirit to intercede on your behalf. You can know that the Holy Spirit is there and that there is no place too dark for you. Did not the psalmist talk about that in Psalm 139 where he said, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Where can you go from the Spirit? Where can you go from God? God is always there, forever present. In fact, if you think about it, you are never truly forsaken. You are never forsaken. In fact, there is only one who's ever been forsaken, and his name is Christ. Spurgeon to quote Spurgeon he said "O thou poor distressed soul who once lived in the sunshine of god's face But art now in darkness remember that he who has not really forsaken thee God in the clouds is as much our god as when he shines forth in all the luster of his grace But since even the thought that he has forsaken us gives us agony What must the woe of the savior have been when he exclaimed my god my god, why hast thou forsaken me? so brothers and sisters in the midst of the struggles of life, in the midst of suffering, the knowledge of your God, the knowledge of the triune God, let that be of great comfort to you. You think about it. You have the Holy Spirit in you forever interceding and helping you to look to Christ. You have Jesus Christ, the the Son of God who is with you. He is God with us who was forsaken of God on your, on, the, on your behalf so that you can be reconciled to the Father. You can be seen as righteous before God. And you have the Father, God the Father for you, who is for you. Romans 8, 15, it says that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can now come to a throne of Grace we have a God, a Father, a Heavenly Father who is for us forever. This is the God that we worship. This is the God of the Bible. And so I ask you, do you know God? Not just of Him, not just about Him, but do you know Him personally? Are you growing in that knowledge? In fact, as, I'm, as I conclude this, I want to conclude there's a story about Augustine. Augustine, while he was, he was trying to write a book on the Trinity, and he was struggling to grasp the greatness of God here, and as he's struggling with the, and trying to page the book together, uh, he started wandering on the sand, and he noticed a small boy scooping seawater with his hands and pouring as much as his small hands could hold into a little hole that he dug. And, and he was going back and forth doing this. So puzzled, Augustine watches this little boy doing this again and again. And eventually his curiosity got the better of him. And so he asked the boy, said, did he think he, w- what was he doing? In fact, the reply probably perplexed him even further. The youth, that little boy, was in the process of emptying the ocean into the small cavity he scooped out in that hot sand. Augustine, he was dismissive. He said, how could such a vast body of water be contained in such a small hole? The boy was equally dismissive. How could Augustine expect to contain the vast mystery of God in the mere words of a book? We've been looking at the Trinity, and really what we've been looking at is just a small speck of the Trinity. We haven't even scratched the surface of who God is. John 17, 3, I want to close with the same verse that we started this series with, which says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God. And the fact that Christ said that he has given you a helper who will be with you forever means that you have the Holy Spirit in you forever. You will be in glory Worshipping Christ, the Holy Spirit in you. So that you would know God. You will continue to grow in knowing God more. Growing to worship the lamb. Worshipping the lamb that was slain on your behalf. And is that not what we are doing tonight? We are remembering Christ. Remembering the lamb that was slain. Tonight, this is but a foretaste of what we will be doing in, in eternity, forever in God's presence, worshiping the Lamb. So I ask you again, do you know God? Do you know Him? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we could spend our entire life trying to know You and we would, it would be but a drop in a bucket the infinite bucket of, of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would just cause us to, to know Christ more, to worship Christ more. Lord, would you forgive us for living our lives on our own, for not thinking much of Christ? Would you forgive us, Lord? Would you be with us now as we worship you, as we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper? I pray that you would encourage us in Christ's name.